Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. All right, so we're going to get our Bibles open this morning right away to Romans chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, please get it open to Romans chapter 14. We're continuing in our two-part message from last week called Pursuing Unity When We Disagree, and there's so much truth for us in the times that we're living in. Um, If you don't have a Bible today, you can slip up your hand, and one of the ushers at the back would love to put a copy of God's Word in your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We really would love you to take it home and read it and find that your life is changed by the word of God. Romans chapter 14, starting from verse 13, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 15, verse 7. Again, continuing in our series called Chaos and Christianity, an exposition of Romans 12, all the way to Romans 16. And we find ourselves in an important portion of scripture today, starting from verse 13 of Romans 14. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Paul says in verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, You're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Verse 20 says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Chapter 15, verse 1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse seven says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All right. We're going to jump right in and we're going to get started by looking at the context of the passage. Just in case you weren't with us last week, we need to remember uh, where we were. I want to remind you of what's happening here in Romans 14 so you can understand and make sense of the verses that we just read. I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul is addressing right here in this text two groups of people within the church at Rome who have two different opinions about a few different issues. And these two different opinions have created a lot of chaos and disunity in the church. So really important for me to remind you of where we're at. By way of review, the first group of people that Paul is addressing, he calls the weak in faith. We saw that last week. These were mainly Jewish Christians who came from a religious culture that held in high regard the dietary laws and holy days found in the law of Moses. That's why he keeps talking about eating, eating, not eating, eating, okay? I want you to look back with me at verse one of Romans 14. Paul wrote, as for the one who is, notice this, weak in faith, Paul says, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, Important for us to remember that Paul, when he refers to the weak in faith, he's talking about people in the church whose conscience is not allowing them to do a particular thing. Remember, we talked about that last week, that they have a sensitive conscience. They have a conscience that's not maybe as informed theologically. And for them, in this case, in this text, they were convicted that it would be wrong to do away with the Jewish dietary restrictions and the holy day observances. That's the first group of people that Paul is addressing by way of review. He calls them the weak in faith. The second group of people that Paul is addressing, he calls the strong. I want you to look back at verse two of chapter 14. Paul wrote this, he wrote, one who believes he may eat anything, that's the strong, while the weak person eats only vegetables. You'll remember that Paul refers to the strong, and when he does that, he's describing people in the church whose conscience does not hinder them from doing any particular thing freely. These are people who have a more mature conscience, perhaps a more theologically informed conscience. And for them, in this case, they were confident that the Jewish dietary laws and the holy day observances were not binding in the new covenant. But in fact, Jesus had declared all foods to be clean. Okay, bit of review, important for us to understand. So, The conflict here in Romans 14 and 15 that Paul is addressing is between these two groups of people who were landing with, listen, very strong opinions on either side. And the question we began answering last week was this, how should we in the church pursue unity in the midst of strong disagreements as it pertains to disputable matters? Matters of the conscience. And I want to give you just two highlights from last week, and then we jump into unpacking our text for today. Two highlights from last week to get us all up to speed. Firstly, we saw that it is so important for us to rightly place the issue. 
rightly place the issue. We talked about first level issues. We talked about second level issues. We talked about third level issues. We saw last week that Paul here in Romans 14 and 15 is not talking about first level issues. These are issues that are essential to the Christian faith. He's not saying we can have differing views on issues that are essential to the faith. We saw last week also that Paul is not talking about second level issues. These would be issues that are not essential for salvation, but are very important to the unity of any given local church. Paul is not talking about those issues here either. But what we learned is that Paul is speaking about what we described as third level issues. These are disputable matters. These are matters of conscience. And we saw from Andy Nacelli in his book, Conscience, last week, that these are the kinds of issues that members of the same local church should be able to disagree upon and still have together unity and love for one another. So crucial to the discussion is this. We need to, when we are just differing on uh, things, we need to rightly place the issue. When you rightly place the issue, it tells you how loud you need to be about the issue. And so we need to rightly place the issue. Secondly, to get us all up to speed from last week, not only do we need to rightly place the issue, but we need to humbly welcome those who disagree. That's from last week. Humbly welcome those who disagree. This means that we are to welcome one another. It means to accept one another, regardless of our differing opinions. We are to love one another. We're not to impose our consciences on one another. We're not to bind the consciences of one another. Don't despise, don't pass judgment, don't quarrel over opinions is what Paul said in verse one of chapter 14. Because after all, Paul had argued, Christ has welcomed us, we should welcome one another. Oh, how I pray that this truth penetrates the hearts of the precious people in this church, that we learn to rightly place issues and we learn to humbly welcome one another even though we disagree. And so that's the thrust from the message from last week. Today, we dig deeper into the verses that follow that I just read. And I'm gonna give you four truths from the text we just read that we're going to move efficiently through, I pray and hope, trusting the Lord for clarity, power, and life change. By the way, do you believe that there's power in the word of God and the proclamation of God's word to change your life today? Do you believe that? Really, really important. When you walk into church, you understand what we're doing here is not superficial. It is meaningful. It is deep. And I pray right now that your heart is even ready for what is coming. All right, pursuing unity when we disagree about disputable matters. Here we go. Point number one is this. Uh, don't let your freedom, don't let your freedom hurt the faith of another. Don't let your freedom hurt the faith of another. I want you to look at verse 13 now. In chapter 14, Paul says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Important for us to understand that verse 13 begins as a statement of transition. Up until now, he's been speaking directly and 
to both the weak in faith and the strong in faith. So he reiterates the exhortation and the argument that he's been hammering when he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. He's saying when it comes to matters of the conscience, both the strong and the weak can honor God. The important thing is that each should be fully convinced in his own mind and we must resist imposing our convictions on one another because God has welcomed us. That's why he says as way of transition, as a means of transition here in verse 13, don't pass judgment on one another any longer. Now he moves in the second part of verse 13. Paul turns his attention, you need to understand, to speak directly and primarily to those that he calls the strong in faith. Those who have a more mature a conscience, those whose consciences are more calibrated, more theologically informed. Paul is moving from the weak in faith and the strong in faith to primarily focus on the strong, and he has some things to say to them. What he's going to do now is challenge the strong in faith never to exercise their liberties at the expense of other people, namely those that are weak in faith. I want you to notice it. Paul says this. He says in verse 13, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Here it is now. But rather instead, what do we do? Decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. In other words, Paul is saying to the strong in faith, to those with a more mature conscience, he says, you must decide in your heart never to use your freedoms, never to use your liberties to intentionally or unintentionally cause your brother or sister to stumble or struggle in their faith. And he has in mind the particular context. Remember, some in the, with their Jewish background are really struggling with this prospect of eating meat. They feel like it's wrong. And others who are more liberated, more Gentile believers in the church are saying, there's nothing wrong with it. So Paul is essentially saying to these people who are strong in faith, should they just participate and engage and take advantage of their liberties, not caring about what other people are feeling? The answer is no, no. Decide in your heart never to use your freedoms to intentionally or unintentionally cause anyone to stumble or struggle in their faith. On the screen for you, Andy Nacelli wrote this. He wrote, the concern here is not merely that your freedom may irritate or annoy or offend your weaker brother or sister. He says, if a brother or sister simply doesn't like your freedoms, that's their problem. But, but, if your practice or freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. Christ gave up his life for that brother or sister. Are you unwilling to give up your freedom if that would help your fellow believer avoid sinning against their conscience? This is the idea that Paul is highlighting in verse 14 specifically when he writes this, notice it. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. 
What he's saying is this, now this is important. He's, he's saying that the people, uh, the strong camp, those who have a more spiritually mature conscience, he's saying the strong position is in fact the right position. He's saying they're right about this. Their opinion is the right position. He's saying there's absolutely nothing wrong or sinful about eating meat. But, but, he says, for the weak in faith, for those who cannot eat meat in good conscience, he says, for them, it is wrong. And Paul says to the strong in faith, be very careful not to let your freedoms grieve or harm others in a way that causes them to stumble in their faith. Or don't let your freedoms pressure or influence others to violate their own conscience because this would be leading them to sin. He makes this point very clear and explicit in verse 23, we're gonna get to it. And so the apostle Paul issues a stern warning for us here, and namely for those who are strong in faith, for those whose conscience doesn't restrain them to do a particular thing. He says, it's a very serious thing to use your freedoms without any regard for how it may impact others around you because the results can be destructive for them. And we need to pay attention to that. He says it, in fact, very plainly in verse 15. Look at it, verse 15, he says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, watch this, he says, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, he says, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. There's a warning here. For the strong in faith to flaunt their liberties can destroy those who are weak in faith. And that's the word that he uses there. By what you eat, by the liberty that you engage in, the action or the activity that you feel free to participate in you may well be destroying someone else's faith. Now, how does this play out in the church at Rome? Let's just kind of live in the text. Everyone's at the table ready for a meal. There's a bunch of Jewish Christians in the church of very strong opinions about why eating meat is wrong because of their Jewish background. Their conscience doesn't allow them to do this. And there's a bunch of Gentile Christians who don't have the same background, but they have a strong conviction about why eating meat is not wrong because of their freedom in Christ. And the great apostle Paul comes along in a letter saying, it's actually not wrong to eat meat. Jesus dealt with this matter, but just before all the meat eaters could celebrate and say, we told you so, bring out the steak... Paul says to all the meat eaters, but be careful. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Because to disregard the conscience of your brothers and sisters is not loving. And this is the supreme Christian ethic. This is what it's all about. It's about love. It 
could potentially draw them into a practice of sinning against their own conscience or even worse, turning away from the faith altogether because they're grieved by how you're behaving. And that, Paul says, would be massively destructive, he says. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, Paul is not saying, you need to understand, Paul is not saying that we should abandon every activity that others may disagree with. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this, for the sake of unity, for the sake of love, we, specifically the strong in faith, those who have a more spiritually mature, more calibrated conscience, we must consider the consciences of others when determining our own actions. And if my activities are harming or grieving or even influencing others to violate their conscience, is it too much to ask to forfeit a particular freedom in a particular moment for the sake of someone else? And the answer is no, it's not too much to ask. Love is supreme all throughout the letter to the Romans. And very recently in the verses that we read even, love is what we should have in mind. Now, have you ever thought about how exercising your Christian liberties, your freedoms could be impacting other people? Have you ever thought about how you exercising your Christian liberty could be in fact destroying the faith of someone else? Have you ever taken the time to think about this? Because Paul is challenging us to think, for example, a glass of wine at a wedding when you're sitting next to a new believer who's horrified at the thought and has absolutely no category for that. Are you just like, pour it on, drink, I'm free, there's no command against it, I'm not gonna get drunk, as long as I don't get drunk, I'm fine. Meanwhile, there's this new believer beside you who has no category for this and they feel that it's wrong. Are you just gonna go for it? Because you can? or a certain entertainment choice that your Christian immigrant friend can't get on board with because of what that entertainment choice meant in their home country, in their original cultural context. You, you may think, I, I can do this, this is entertaining, this is fun, nothing wrong with it, but maybe your friend uh, coming from a different context, they, that, that had a different connotation to it, coming from a different cultural background, and for them it is wrong to do. Their conscience prohibits them from doing it. Do you just throw away their conscience and say, ah, I'm going with her without you? That can hurt them. That's what Paul is saying. That could harm their faith could harm their faith by the way you're behaving. It could even influence them, pressure them to go along with you and sin against their own conscience. And that is destructive, you see? There's so many examples we can give. For the church at Rome, the issue was eating meat and observing holy days. What about for us today? I just gave you a couple examples. Any opportunity you've had to exercise your Christian liberty and you haven't really thought about how that is impacting someone whose conscience doesn't necessarily free them to do the same thing? Oh, well, we ought to care, loved ones. 
We gotta care because it's loving to consider others. Pursuing unity when we disagree about disputable matters. Don't let your freedom hurt the faith of another. So important. Second point is this. Don't get distracted from what's truly important. Don't get distracted from what's truly important. Notice verse 16 to 21. Paul says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us, watch this, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So here's the deal. The church at Rome was in grave danger of getting very distracted. They were in grave danger of getting very distracted by issues that were not unimportant, but they were just not of most importance. And what was of most importance was at risk of being lost. That's what he's talking about. The gospel was at risk of getting a bad rap because of how they were behaving. So Paul says, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. He says, remember the things that matter the most. Third level issues were taking prominence and the beautiful marks of the kingdom of God were in danger of fading into the background. That's why Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you guys are letting this thing of eating and drinking take center stage in your discussions and it's driving a wedge between you. It's not what the kingdom is all about. He says the kingdom is not about food. Jesus resolved this issue of clean versus unclean. The kingdom of God is about being right with God and right with each other. The kingdom of God is about peace and unity. And the kingdom of God is about joy in the Holy Spirit. And he says this to tell the church, by the way, there's very little being right with each other because of the way you're treating each other. And when you're sinning against each other this way, you're driving a, a wedge between your intimate relationship between you and God. And there's not much peace happening here because you're fighting about eating meat and you're just resolved that you can't do it and that no one else should do it. There's no peace. And by the way, there's no joy when that's happening in a church. The joy just gets snuffed out. So while it may be true that there's nothing inherently wrong, Paul says, with a particular action or activity in this text, eating meat, Paul is very clear that it is wrong to engage in an activity or an action if doing so causes someone to struggle with their faith. This requires us to pay close attention to the hearts of other people around us. So he says, stop getting distracted. Stop defending every action because it's not inherently wrong to do and start really living out the values of the kingdom of God, putting others' needs and interests before your own. And let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. This is what the kingdom of God is about, Paul says. Peace and mutual upbuilding and love. My friend Daniel Henderson often says, Satan doesn't need to destroy us. 
He just needs to distract us. And I've taken that to heart so many times in my life where I find my life getting a little bit off track, off course. I find my mind being consumed and distracted by things that don't really matter or aren't of supreme importance. And in our age of information overload, we need to be sure that we aren't spending all our time fighting over things that in the end we would say have very little to do with the priorities of the kingdom of God. And, and we as the church should know this. But if the last two years have taught us anything, they've taught us that many of us have gotten distracted and we don't know this. Because whether you're on social media or online or in the lobby in the church or wherever you find yourself, there are these intense debates happening so often that are driving wedges between people and they're on conscience issues. And in many ways, the apostle Paul would stand in front of the church over the last two years and say, this is not what the kingdom is about. Stop getting so distracted. It's not what the kingdom is about. So instead, let's be about the kingdom. Let's be intentional and passionate about the things that the kingdom is truly about. Paul says, righteousness, peace, and joy. So, Next time you're caught in a heated debate and you're identifying, this, this started out okay, but now it's getting pretty intense and I'm feeling like it's driving a wedge between me and a brother or sister and these things are all about the conscience. These are all disputable matters. Next time you're in that situation, ask yourself the question, is the kingdom of God about this? Or is it more about Love between me and this person. Peace between me and this person. Unity between me and this person. Righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. We need to think, loved ones. We need to think when we find ourselves engaged in discussions on disputable matters. Pursuing unity when we disagree about disputable matters. Don't let your freedom hurt the faith of another. Don't get distracted from what's truly important. Thirdly, this, don't flaunt your freedoms and don't impose your restrictions. Don't flaunt your freedoms and don't impose your restrictions. Notice verse 22, Paul says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now here Paul switches back to address both the weak and the strong. To the strong, he says, consider it an absolute blessing that you have such freedom in Christ. He says, but don't flaunt it. That's what he means there. Don't feel the need to exercise it always just because you can. What's important here is love, the faith that you have. He says, keep between yourself and God. Don't flaunt your freedoms. And to the weak, he says, you do well to honor God by obeying your conscience. But don't feel like you need to pressure others to be as strict as you are. If your conscience is particularly sensitive in an area, you should obey it. If you don't obey it, it is sin. But no, you are not the guardian of what everyone else should be doing. And your conscience is certainly not the standard by which everyone else's conscience should be measured. The faith that you have, he says, keep between yourself and God. You see the exhortation? Don't flaunt your freedoms to the strong and don't impose 
your restrictions. Let me illustrate using a subject that's been a source of tension for many, many people. And I hope that you can see the thrust of love even in this illustration. If you, for example, believe that it honors God to wear a mask in the grocery store, then wear your mask for the glory of God. You can honor him in doing that. But don't look down on others who are not fully convinced in their own mind to do the same. Please feel safe in this church. Feel comfortable in this church. If you want to wear a mask and you feel more comfortable, do that. But we will not be the church that looks down on others who aren't fully convinced in their own minds to do the same. Or if you believe that it honors God to exercise your own God-given freedoms by not wearing a mask in the grocery store or in church or wherever, then don't wear your mask in the grocery store or in church. But don't stand arrogantly over others who are not fully convinced in their own minds to do what you're doing. You see, here's the trouble. Basic things that are basic to Christianity, they've gotten lost. Let me just be honest, if you're like me, you find your heart swaying because of all the charged up discussions and conversations surrounding things like these. And whether you are a mask wearer or not a mask wearer, do you see your heart filled with, maybe you wouldn't call it arrogance, but that's what it is when you see someone who's not doing what you're doing and you think, how could they? Why don't they? Can't they understand? Why won't they just whatever? Does that happen to you? We don't want that to happen in our hearts. If we can see clearly, don't flaunt your freedoms and don't impose your restrictions. See, I love Paul's remedy to disagreement in Romans 14 and 15, it's not to divide and create different safe places for different camps. No, what he wants to do is help people understand the place of disputable matters and to bring people together so that in the midst of your disagreement, you can actually be together. But how many times have we tried, even in this last two years, to find ways to divide people? Because somehow that's wise. Somehow if we keep these people over here, they'll be happy and keep these people over here and they'll be happy. That's not the solution that Paul presents. The solution is don't flaunt your freedoms, you strong and you weak. Don't impose your restrictions. And when you do that with a heart of love, you can come together and you can coexist and you can pursue mutual upbuilding and peace. You see? Paul's addressing these things. Verse 22 to 23 now. He said, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What does this mean? Well, Paul is saying that it is good and blessed and sweet and it is a joy-filled thing to obey your conscience. 
And so if you are doubtful about eating meat or doing any particular thing, Paul gives assurances, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't feel pressured. Because if you violate your conscience, dear friends, he says, then you are sinning. You see it? That's what verse 23 means. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And if you felt pressured by someone who, take this example again, who wears a mask or doesn't wear a mask and you're going against your conscience to do something, Paul says, be careful. Because when you violate your conscience, you are sinning. Because you believe that what you're doing is wrong. So this is how we preserve unity and live blessed and joy-filled lives, both as individuals before our God and as a community. We walk in the joy and the freedom of obeying our own consciences and we walk in the unity of not flaunting our freedoms and not imposing our restrictions on other people. So I am praying. I see, I see, like, I see my heart, how sinful it is so many days. I see these attitudes creep up in me, people not doing what I'm doing and the attitudes kind of fill my heart. I know if you're like me, you see, that let's be a church that prays, Lord, would you, would you do away with those sinful tendencies in us and help us to see through the lens of scripture and be sanctified by the word of truth and actually live out love for each other. So when someone approaches you and you know they hold a polar opposite opinion than you in a disputable matter, you can go like this and you can put your arm around them. You can welcome them. You can greet them. You can hug them. That is what we need this church to be about. Amen? Amen. All right. Pursuing unity when we disagree about disputable matters. Don't let your freedom hurt the faith of another. Don't get distracted from what truly matters. Don't flaunt your freedoms and don't impose your restrictions. Finally, this, and then we're going to end. Point number four is this. Don't lose sight of the example and the hope of Jesus Christ. All right? And we're going to end right now, and I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five practical exhortations. So what should we do? Five challenges from the last seven verses, Romans 15, one to seven. Five challenges. They're not on the screen for you. God gave them to me last night and I packaged it this way. Hopefully it helps you. What should we do? In light of the person and example of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must bear with the failings of the weak. That's 15 verse one. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Bear with the failings of the weak. By the way, this is what Jesus has done for us. Bearing with the failings of the weak. You have a strong conscience. You have a maybe a more spiritually mature conscience and there is a, a weak brother or sister beside you. Their conscience is not as calibrated and it, when it comes to a disputable matter, an issue of the conscience, you are, you have an obligation to bear with them and not to insist on your own way. We have a responsibility. Secondly, please one another and not yourself. It says in verses two to three, let each of us 
please his neighbor. Notice that word neighbor. He talked about loving neighbor. He talked about this is the fulfillment of the law. This is essentially what it's all about. This is the example of Jesus Christ based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Verse three, for Christ did not please himself but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ, the ultimate example of this. When you are facing disagreement, your obligation, your responsibility is not to please yourself. It's to please your neighbor. How can I serve you? Even though we disagree, even though I really believe you're wrong even though the pastors come along and say, yeah, that, that opinion is wrong. See, that's what Paul does. He comes here. <laughs> the strong's opinion is correct. The weak's opinion is incorrect. But that's not a license to flaunt your freedoms. No, please each other. Please each other. Third, draw endurance, encouragement, and hope from the scriptures. Verse four, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That all the word of God is true. And Paul is alluding to the Old Testament scriptures. And Paul affirms here that the instruction given to us in the Old Testament scriptures help us to endure. The Old Testament scriptures and all of scripture find their fulfillment in Christ. And this is where we find endurance and hope. So just stop for a moment. If you're struggling with these things, if a relationship in your life has collapsed for whatever reason, if a disagreement has driven a wedge between you and someone else, and you feel very discouraged today, you feel like you can't endure, maybe it's in your family, you feel like you can't go on, you feel like the easy thing to do is close the door on that relationship, that's done, that's passed, I have to move forward now. You need to draw endurance and encouragement and hope from the scriptures. Fourth, pray for and pursue harmony with one another. Paul says, almost like a prayer, may the God of endurance, this is the wish he has, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Pray for and pursue harmony with one another. Harmony, unity with one another. So can I ask you a question? Do you pray for the unity and peace of our church? Not do you want it to be a unified place, but do you pray for the unity and peace of our church? It's almost like a prayer. I pray, may, the, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in such harmony with one another. Here's the second question. Are you doing everything you can in accord with Christ Jesus? Everything you can to pursue unity and peace in our church. You know, one of the things that makes me as a pastor very sad is when I see conflict take place in the church and I see people surrounding the conflict doing everything they can to instigate more conflict. 
to accelerate the conflict. No, you're right. They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't say that. Did you, can, can, you, can you believe that? And just driving away. That just breaks my heart. Christians are peacemakers. Are you doing everything you can, if there's a conflict that is erupted in the church or a disagreement, to pursue unity? You're doing everything in your power. You're praying for sure, but you're doing everything you can to bring people together and to be at peace with others. I'm looking around this room, and I know that there are people that are doing that. They're doing everything they can to pursue peace and unity. Finally, glorify God with one voice and welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. I'll start reading from verse five. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that, verse six, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I want you to notice, we're almost done. Notice the word together. Notice the words with one voice. Notice the unity language. Notice the harmony language. What are we to do? We are to glorify God in this church. How? How? We are to glorify God in this church by welcoming one another, accepting one another, loving one another. How? How do we welcome one another? This is how. As Christ has welcomed you. As Christ has welcomed me. How has Christ welcomed me? He did not please himself. He laid down his life for me and for you. How has Christ welcomed us? He humbled himself to the point of obedience, death on a cross. Christ, the ultimate example. Don't lose sight of the example and hope of Jesus Christ. Loved ones, I pray, I pray that these last two messages will be messages that we go back to over and over and over again. I pray that we could take our Bibles now and feel that we can open them to Romans 14 and 15 and open the Bible with one another when disagreements and conflicts come about because they will, they will. How does the church stand strong and unified? Well, we gotta understand these truths of scripture. And oh, how I pray that we are a church full of people who welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet right now. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And as I pray right now, would you just look inside? Look inside and see what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. Loved ones, if there are um, relationships that are torn asunder because of disagreements on disputable matters in this church, I'm just telling you what Paul says and the thrust of his message. May it not be so, it cannot be so. It cannot be so. The challenge I issued last week, I issue again today. There are people that you are at odds with or you are misunderstanding or you have ideas about and it's because of disagreements, it's because of disputable matters, then pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. 
Go to the people and talk to them. You may be surprised to find how much good and how much God works when you'll just go and talk to people with a heart of humility. Let it be so. God, I pray that it is so in our church. I pray, God, you would give us endurance and encouragement from the example of Jesus Christ. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would sanctify us in truth, that you would help us to be a church that is so spiritually mature because we've understood your word. I pray for the strong in faith in this room that we would never flaunt our liberties. Pray for the weak in faith that we would never seek to impose our own restrictions. Pray that we would love and we would welcome each other just as Jesus has welcomed us. And would you make our gatherings such sweet gatherings where you are so honored in our midst. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.